0: well, you know, milk price is low, I got to make up for that, by milking more cows. I don't think that is the answer. I think we want to overstock less rather than more
1: while milk prices drop. Welcome to Rumination, the podcast that offers practical solutions to the challenges and opportunities in our industry. Our topic today is optimizing stocking density, balancing herd profitability and individual cow productivity and longevity. Hi, this is Chris Gwynn, and today I'm honored to have Dr. Albert de Vries of the University of Florida joining us. A few introductory notes about our guest today. Dr. de Vries grew up in a dairy farm in the Netherlands. He completed his BSc and MS at the University of Wageningen in Holland, and a PhD at the University of Minnesota. His interests are in the optimization of culling and replacement strategies, statistical process control, Economics of Reproduction and Precision Dairy Farming. He writes and teaches about valuing decision alternatives on dairy farms with a focus on cattle replacement, reproduction, and genetics. And part of the effort is also making decision support aids available to the public. He works with dairy farmers and allied industries in those initiatives. And in return, he also works in extension, which allows him to focus questions that are important to the dairy industry in his research programs. Dr. DeVries also teaches two undergraduate dairy courses and advises undergraduate dairy students and graduate students. The topic of optimizing and understanding stocking density is today's topic and touches on past research and presentations that Dr. DeVries has led. So thank you, Dr. DeVries, for joining us today on Rumination.
0: Thank you, Chris, and I'm happy to be here and uh, tell you what I know about uh, stocking density.
1: We look forward to it. It seems that Hitting on an ideal stocking density is a question that Austin has a challenging answer. It's a complex, right? There's many variables that come into play where the economics of overlaps with practical operations on the dairy and perhaps the risk of adding additional stressors to the herd. I'd like to be to know a little bit more of why you became interested in researching this topic in, in particular. Yeah, that's
0: a that's an excellent question. Um uh, I actually had an intern student from the Netherlands who wanted to spend some time with me. And that student was very interested in welfare. And I said, well, you know, if we just do welfare in the U.S., maybe that's not of primary interest to producers. Although I understand our producers are all interested in welfare aspects as well. Uh, But I'd like to put dollars um, to whatever we do with with cows. And, And so we did a little digging and came up on the topic of stocking density. Um, economics of stocking density, and it's a, it's, a, it's really a fascinating topic because there's some welfare implications, but are clearly also economic implications. And as you uh, alluded to, um, there's a very many factors, and there honestly really isn't a single one best answer to give. But there are some important principles that we can uh, discuss today.
1: Yeah, and I think it's those those principles we want to dig down into because you're absolutely right. I don't. There's no one answer for all farms. So on those principles, or what we may call key influencers, what are the key influencers of the economic return when you're evaluating, where a farm is evaluating their optimal stocking density?
0: Yeah, I, f- I think we should start with defining what we mean by stocking density.
1: All right, great, great. Are Different
0: we- metrics of that. I mean, I think, um, you know, we're not talking about dry lots here. We're talking about freestalls. Um, we were also not interested in, in fresh cows or dry cows, which I think all, all experts agree should not be overstocked. We're looking at lactating cows and we also, uh, did not think that feed bunk space was a limiting factor. So in our research, we really looked at number of cows over the number of stalls in a pen. And if that is hundred percent, then you got one stall per, per, uh, per cow. And if it's like 120%, you have 120 cows for 100 stalls. So that is where we uh, sort of limited our research to. Um, And secondly, I think it's important to get the economic principle right. What are we trying to optimize here when we're talking about economics? Okay, And the criteria here is not profitability per cow because cow is not a limiting factor. It is the number of stalls in the pen that is the limiting factor. And then it's up to us as consultants, as producers to figure out, well, how can I essentially be the most profitable by, and how many cows does it take in that pen? And so how do you then determine what is the optimal number of cows in that pen where the number of stalls is a fixed number essentially, right? And the economic principle here is that we want to essentially add cows, one more cow all the time, and that is basically a marginal cow, Um, and that cow adds milk uh, income to the pen, but there's some feed cost, but at the same time, the cow affects the other cows in the pen. These other cows in the pen, essentially, if we're starting to overstock, are a little less happy. Right. Because maybe they um, have a little less opportunity of time to lay down, for example, a little bit more competition in that pen. So these other cows are starting perhaps to produce a little less, a little less milk, for example. Right. And so the economic principle is does adding one more cow or two more cows add more profit to that pen than the profit we take away with all the other cows already in the pen. And at some point, you can keep adding cows and the marginal revenue is greater than the marginal cost, the the losses on the other side. But you're hitting a plateau at some point. That if you add one more cow to it, actually that one cow is a profitable cow because a lot of her fixed costs already paid for. Labor may not change. The tractor drives at the same time. But all the other cows in the pen are producing a little less. And what they lose is more than what the one cow adds. And so then we're over the peak of optimal stocking density, right? And so an economist would look at this and says, well, we're reaching the optimal stocking density where marginal revenue equals marginal cost. But I think the easiest way to think about it, adding one cow at a time, and does she add more to the profit of the pen than we take away from the other cows at the pen?
1: So interesting to to you prefied this pref- pre- preface <laughs> we prepared this question, and when thinking about um, they were mature cows, right in 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 lactation. Uh, do you want to hypothesize about first lactation animals or?
0: Yeah, first lactation for the older cows. Um, I think in our research we did not uh, look into this, but going back to the economic principles, I just explained well. What does, um, you know, We it's not too difficult to say, okay, what is a milk production of a cow? What is what happens when we add a cow to a pen? First lactation is different than an older cow, but we just even did not distinguish between different lactation numbers. Like, should you overcrowd maybe more mature cows versus first lactation cows? It's actually a very good question. Um, and so we know what a cow, how much milk she produces. We know um, what she eats. So we calculate some income of feed cost. Um, the hard part is really figuring out what we lose on the cows already in the pen. Okay? If we add them into it. And for example, there's less uh, laying time, right? A little bit more competition. And um, so we had to look into the literature and... Clearly, one of the first things you get into when you read about effects of stocking density uh, on cows is, well, they lay down a little less, okay? And I think if we... Um, and, and so there, too, the, the 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 science is not all that um, similar and conclusive about how much cows lose when you add to them. But we looked um, at quite a few studies, and we found, for example, um, on average, that... Um, If we increase stocking density by 10 percentage points, say from 100% to 110%, cows lay down about 20 minutes less uh, per day, okay? And so if you went from 110 to 120, does that mean they lose 40 minutes per day, okay? There's some studies then that also um, equate the amount of laying down time with milk production and a few other studies, and so... By, I think we found that um, if we increase stocking density by 10 percentage points, again, from 100 to 110, or from 110 to 120, um, cows lose about one and a half pounds of milk per day. Okay, and so that is the cows that feel oversugged, says I'm less happy, I'm going to produce that less, right? But. There, we sort of identified in in, in our math uh, or in our analysis some weakness that the literature is not very conclusive about that. And one of the reasons is, too, is that the folks that have studied how cows react to stocking density often do short-term experiments, like we do this for three weeks, four weeks. And we don't quite know if we uh, overstock cows for longer periods, whether it's, you know, longer Effects of that, or as soon as you reduce your overstocking, they're back to their unoverstocked, essentially level of milk production. So, um, even on the milk production part, which is really the main driver of the stocking economics uh, question, lot of uh, lot of questions out there. Um, we also looked at some other factors as well, like what is the effect on uh, fertility, for example, or on cooling. And even there, there is a little less conclusive evidence. Um, fertility decreases a little bit, reproductive performance, if you have a breeding pen and you overstock. On culling, we didn't find anything. But um, the, what, what we hear from producers is that, well, there's more injuries if you overstock pens. OK, so that probably leads to a little bit more culling. Those, those injuries should affect also milk production. So maybe we've already accounted for that. So um, again, we were interested in one, the economic principle, and then being able to model and ask some what if questions. What if milk production changes by one pound per 10% or two pounds per 10%? And then obviously um, uh, prices have an effect on what is the optimal there as well.
1: And in that study, you looked at milk production. Did you look at component yield? Um, and how could that Yeah, I
0: think we looked at component yields, but I don't remember we saw anything um, necessarily, right? Because, of, co- of course, we get paid for components. I don't think it was very clear that either fat or protein, for example, uh, was reduced um, by overstocking.
1: And, and do you want to hypothesize on the fact is if you didn't because you maintained uh, eating space? Per animal with increased stocking density, is that what typically might happen on a dairy farm, or would they be limiting eating space and how that might impact the economy?
0: Yeah, that's, that's correct, right? So obviously, if you went from uh, lots of eating space, like in a four-o barn where you have enough space, you know, per stall, and you overstock a little bit, I don't think eating space is affected much, but maybe you know, if you went from twenty overstocking to 30% eating space may be affected. Um, however, I think if eating space is affected, that probably is then observed in cows producing less milk, right? And so um, the eating, the, eat, the amount how much the cows eat gets, you see that in the milk production. I, I want to make another observation that uh, when we put this, uh, this analysis together, we did not find anything else uh, other than saying the response to overstocking is linear. By that I mean, by that that say we lose a pound per cow, and we go from 100% to 110%, we lose a pound per cow. If we went from 100% to 120%, we lose two pounds per cow. If we went from 100 to 130%, we lose three pounds per cow. So it's sort of a linear decrease. I think that's uh, probably questionable. Probably if we get over the hop, we get into 30%, 40%, the cows are so much less happy or they eat less that maybe they start to produce less right? than the one the one pound loss that I have per 10%. Sort of a, a decreasing return instead of a, a linear response to overstocking. Again, this is where the literature, the science, was not very uh, conclusive and we really didn't have any good uh, access to um, on-farm data, too, where people really uh, practiced a varied stocking density and saw what happened to the bulk tank, for example, because obviously that would be another useful source to to put in the modeling.
1: So thank you for that. I think we've kind of talked about the pros and cons, but if there are some others that you wanted to, to that you haven't talked but want to highlight, we can do that. But we also want to talk about some of the management strategies that you've seen that farmers can do to mitigate some of these losses as as stocking density might increase in lactating groups.
0: Yeah. All right. So I haven't really said much about welfare yet. I mean, the, the student I work with was really interested in that. And I think it's, it needs to be in our minds too. Right. So if we say we just want to take care of the cow, we probably don't want to overstock. Right. Cows are... We're probably compromising welfare, perhaps a tiny bit only, right? If we start overstock and more when we overstock more, so we don't know how to square that with profitability. But obviously, that needs to be in our mind as well, right? And that is just cows, you know, don't have the space to lay down when they want to, for example. When it comes to the pros and cons, um, when we put, we build a spreadsheet, and I will tell you later what the, the access to the spreadsheet is that actually income over feed cost drives optimal stocking density. And so milk price has a big effect, and feed cost too, on what optimal stocking density is. In fact, if milk price is high, economically, you can really overstock quite a bit, a lot actually. We did not go past 50% more overstocking, which is already sort of very high, but in, in not unreasonable cases, um, we found that'd be that'd be optimal to do, really overstock, especially when milk price is high. You overstock more cows in the pen, right? And so the reverse is true too, that if my milk price decreases, that means my additional milk is not worth as much. That means my one cow that I add to it is not producing enough milk to sort of pay for the loss of all these cows. So if I have low milk prices, I want to overstock less. I want to overstock less. And I think that is maybe counterintuitive what a lot of producers do. They said, well, you know, milk price is low, I gotta make up for that by milking more cows. I don't think that is the answer. I think we want to overstock less. Rather than more, well milk prices drop.
1: Can I ask a further question about that? Cause I, I'm not an economist. But where does cash flow come in? If a farm is needing to increase cash flow, does that kind of counter or go against the optimal stocking density in low milk pricing?
0: Yeah, I think uh, you're on the right track there because um, our, our, we, we assume our fixed costs are independent of the number of cows. So we would add cows to it up to the point of uh, maximum optimal stocking density, which implies that is, for that pen, the highest cash flow. And so with low milk prices, we reduce cow numbers because if we don't, our cash flow is going to be even less. So uh, cash flows in this analysis, and this is obviously what I call like a steady state, right? We sort of permanently are at the high or at a low level of stocking density. Uh, But it's the same thing. So the question becomes... Practically different, well, my milk prices change and I may or may not have the cows. Um, how, you know, what is the long-term response to stocking density? Those are harder harder to answer because, again, we don't know the long-term response to stocking density per se. Uh, but essentially, yeah, when we optimize our stocking density here, we're optimizing the cash flow, the amount of cash made there per, for that on, on on that day. Uh, over time.
1: Okay. Thank you. So other strategies that you've seen producers or you would hypothesize producers could utilize to, to manage, to minimize the individual cow losses when in an overstocked scenario?
0: Yeah. So you minimize individual cow losses by not overstocking, right? So, okay. So, uh, but saying I'm overstocking, X percent, how would I then reduce the losses, uh, on these cows? Um, um I, I, don't have a long list. I can imagine that, uh, at least you, it needs to be attractive for these cows to lay down when they can, right? That means all the stalls are well-groomed and functional and not broken. And I think all the listeners to the podcast probably know this. So, um, you know, probably heat abatement, I can imagine, uh, needs to be in order. You know, living living in my state of Florida, that's a big deal, obviously. So probably comes down to cow care, you know, is taking care of that aspect as well as possible. Um, allows us to overstock probably a little more than when we don't take care of those basic management principles of, of cow care.
1: No, I think those are good points because I think it's important to reflect that... Uh, if this approach is what we're doing and need to, and it makes sense, we just got to make sure that increase our individual cow care to minimize, to maximize the out, even further the output from that pen, right? Yeah. That you're right. maybe you're going to be in the lower portion of the individual cow losses. So thank you for, for those points and for the discussion on the, on the, the cash output per pen. And it, it sounds like you just, need to do your your math before just jumping into these scenarios you need to understand your farm situation and do the calculations unexpected um
0: yeah you need to do your math it. um I, I remember when i first talked about this uh, i got some emails from producers that said wow i actually overstocked and i at that point you know they learned they could overstock more than what they have been thinking I think I've also seen people say, "Well, just monitor book tank milk, right? If you if you reduce cows, your book tank milk goes up. It means you clearly were overstocked, right? Because you also have to pay, f- you know, for the for the cost of maintaining the cows' feed, cow replacement, um, and so on."
1: No, so thank you for that. So as we wind up, I always like to ask what are some of the key take-home points for producers and nutritionists and lenders, in fact, and veterinarians when considering evaluating the impact of a stocking density on the on the farms they work with? What would you recommend they look at?
0: Yeah, if I put on my economics glasses, if you will, then I think overstocking a pace. And like last year in the U.S., we had actually good milk prices. I mean, I think those folks that were able to have more cows in the barn probably made quite a little bit of money out of that. Um, at the same time, we learned through the research that it sort of is farm dependent in terms of prices and what is the losses that you observe. And so we uh, actually we have a spreadsheet available for listeners that they can you know, work with, play with. Um, probably the easiest way to get there, if you go to Google and you look for dairy stocking density calculator Florida, I think we end up number one on the on the Google search list there. And there's an, an EDIS extension publication there. Um, and there, in that publication, um, it lays out what the research was about, hopefully in, in uh, not too scientific terms. And there's a link to a calculator we used uh, as well, that we made available for folks uh, to play with. And um, uh, the feedback that I've had that the folks that work with the calculator thought it was useful. You can play with, you know, what if my cows lose one pound or two pounds? What happens when I my well, milk prices change and so on? What if, if my feed cost change? Give you some idea of, you know, where your optimal stocking density ends. And so, uh, one thing is we're talking about optimal stocking density, but Really, we also are interested in, well, what if I'm not optimal? What am I losing if I'm not optimal, right? We can get very hung up on 20% overstocking density is the optimal. But if my loss compared to 10% overstocking is very minor, then I may not want to see them for practical reasons. There's not a lot of to be gained to overstock more, to get to the optimal. It's always compared to one if it's not optimal. And this calculator that I mentioned shows... A nice curve, not only what is optimal, but also if I'm not quite optimal, what is then my losses per per stall per day, um, such that sometimes these, these differences are so minor, you say, well, I don't really have to worry too much about the optimal because I'm sort of in the ballpark
1: anyway. Wonderful. Could you remind us of how to find that website?
0: Yeah, so um, I think um, um, I, I suggest you go to Google, you search for dairy stocking density calculator and put Florida in there as well. And that gets you to an, uh, an extension publication from the University of Florida. Um, I think it's called Economics uh, Evaluation of Stall um, Stocking Density. And that has that link to that uh,
1: spreadsheet fantastic thank you very much and thank you Dr. De Vries for joining us today on rumination and for sharing your wealth of experience and knowledge and if the audience uh, would like to n- learn more again follow Dr. Devries's advice to locate the document and we will publish it as well on our, uh, on our rumination podcast website so thank you very much Dr. Devries, for joining us
0: yeah, thank you very much. It was my pleasure to talk about uh, one of my favorite topics, actually, stall stocking density. It's sort of quite a fascinating thing to figure out uh, in our industry. Thank you very much.
1: And I also want to thank the audience, of course, for listening to us today. And so that you don't miss our next episode or past episodes of Jeffo Rumination Podcast. You can find us at Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. And this podcast was brought to you by Jeffo Nutrition, precision nutrition for a growing world. And have a great day.